0: Welcome to Spooky
1: South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it doesn't. AM
0: 1420 WESN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Cousley.
2: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. We're ready to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night getting a little bit of a late start tonight because Moniz and I are tired. Very. We spent the entire night last night at Fort Tabor, Fort Rodman State Park, and we investigated some of the ghostly goings on there. And let me tell you, I've I've done a fair share of investigations over the years and I have never walked out of one as tired, as drained, and as sore as I feel tonight. I'm physically sore, which I don't know why. I feel almost like as if the roof caved in on me. But we'll get into all that later on in the program in the second hour because I'm going to play for you some audio evidence that we captured last night that just blows my mind. And we'll also have uh, with us some of the investigators who were there present when it happened. So we'll get into all that in the second hour, but for now we have a fantastic discussion planned with one of our all-time favorite guests and definitely one of the most controversial guests in the history of Spooky South Coast. She is psychic medium Jackie Barrett, and her new book is called The Devil I Know, and she's joining us to talk with us about that book. We talked with her a little bit about that uh, in the past when we had her on to talk about the DeFeo murder case, but... Now the book is out. Now this complete story is out. And uh, Jackie, I have to say, as as spooked out as I was the last time you were with us and you shared basically Ronnie's side of the story with us, now having read the book and realizing what you've gone through, not just with the DeFeo case but also throughout your lifetime, I I can't believe uh, that you can continue to fight these dark forces all the time knowing now what they've done to you and your family.
3: Well, Maybe when that happens to one, uh, you, you realize what you have to do. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you want to. It's something that has always been there, and you have absolutely no choice. I mean, you can walk away from an investigation. Uh, you can leave someone else's home. But how do you shed your own skin?
2: Absolutely. Now uh, we again we uh, had you on previously to talk about this, but let's just refresh everybody's uh, memories here. Of course, we we know you from we've seen you on television shows such as Medium PI and uh, and the the competition there for the the right this, uh, best was it the best psychic in America is that it
3: American Psychic Challenge
2: okay and I uh, mean you know, we, we became familiar with your abilities there and you impressed everybody in that regard, but when you got mixed up with Ronnie DeFeo, I mean that's when. Uh, I think that a lot of people started paying attention even more to what you were saying because it is such a famous American case, which gets me a little bit nervous because uh, whatever is behind all of this, and and you get into it in your new book, The Devil I Know, uh, we're kind of just giving credence to to the devil that you know.
3: Well, it's it's what's out there, you know, and uh, everybody goes on a hunt, uh, well, in this realm of, of work. And, you know, looking for proof, looking for evidence of paranormal, looking for, you know, what, what, what or who has the upper hand and sometimes stronger, forceful hand. And when you're smacked in the face with it, uh, it's a different story.
2: So how did you get wrapped up with Ronnie? I mean, you, you get into it in the book. Uh, a little bit, and I—I I, I know that we've talked about it here, but it, right. it is kind of a strange parallel to your own life that that this accused murderer, this convicted killer, uh... should reach out to you because of what has plagued you in your life and what has plagued him.
3: Absolutely, and I never spoke of it before. Uh, I didn't have plans on ever doing it.
2: Oh, I can't blame uh, you.
3: Yeah, it's just something you don't do. Um, but, like I said, you, you have absolutely no choice. It, um, Ronnie toyed with me uh, knowing some things he shouldn't have known. Uh, is there, was there something else there? Definitely. There's a, a force behind that, a very strong force. It used him for what it wanted. Uh, it, it put Amityville on the map.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's like anything else. A war is a war, you know. And unfortunately, you know, you have to put those boxing gloves on. You have to get out there and fight it. And I had no choice. It it was at my door.
2: Now, the, and, I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: You know, it wasn't the first time, you know. So...
2: Well uh, that's something that you you just kind of alluded to that Ronnie knew things that he shouldn't know. And you okay. do a great job in the book of explaining the way that you felt uh when Ronnie's coming at you with some of this information. I mean the book is just an amazing story overall. It's it's extremely well written and it just sucks you in right from the f- from the first page, but Well, I mean I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry that you had to live through all of that to make such a great book but it, it is it is a fascinating story but you you share your emotions and w- the feelings that come over you when he starts sharing with you this information that's being conveyed to him by a darker force but what was Ronnie's mindset when he knew all these things I mean did did he apologize to you for knowing these things was he was it kind of that this uh, you know, the, the devil was speaking through him. Was he aware that of the pain that he was inflicting on you by sharing these things?
3: That's a really good question. Um, he was aware of it. He would come in and out. There was times where I was talking to Ronnie, uh, the the kid,
1: mm-hmm.
3: the 20-something-year-old kid. And there was times I was talking to somebody much sinister, wiser, uh, otherworldly. And then there was times I was talking to the man who sat in prison with this twisted face. And so <laughs> indeed it was um, it was difficult. It was uh, I, I'm sorry, I got distracted. my my lights just went off in one room. <laughs> um, it It was difficult, and it was uh, necessary a necessary element, and I knew, I knew where it was going. I knew where it was heading. Um, at times, he would apologize, and you know, he would say, "It's too late to to walk away," and I knew that um, just as well as he did. But you know, there's there's certain things you can't walk away from.
2: Well, your abilities and your experiences, I'm sure that you have. Uh, a a great deal of discernment that you're able to tell when it's Ronnie speaking to you and when it is this darker force that's speaking with right. you. Uh but did it did it become uh increasingly difficult to kind of hold oh, back the dark force at bay?
3: Absolutely. It, it absolutely was because it got into my home it, it turned my my life uh upside down. Uh to the point where, you know, you, you didn't know if it was so, if it was an illusion, if it was, you know, actually happening, if you were standing there, and, or, or, you know, was this all just a horrible, horrible dream. Um, Ronnie, Ronnie had something so powerful in him. That it can probably if let out, it can probably destroy many, many many lives,
2: so you're not only fighting to save Ronnie and and in effect also to save yourself, but you have to kind of save all oh. of us from whatever this thing is
3: well it wasn't it wasn't going after to save Ronnie, it was. Well. I was waiting to see what would come out in the mm-hmm. process. You know, like you're going through a process, it's just like somebody that claims to need an exorcism. You go through the process and you have to, you, you sort of have to put the puzzle together and you have to use that psychic sense and uh, and also, you know, your intelligence, your the, that different part of the brain, the analytical part, where it's like, okay, um, is this so or is this just another one of his tricks or what is happening here? So you, you you go down this path and you have to do it very wisely and you have to keep on top of it uh The strange thing is, is that he knew exactly from day one where he was taking me. And I knew, but I really didn't want to face it, where I was going. Hmm. Uh, And, of course, I had to. You know, we, we have to go through the storm to come out to the other side. And that's exactly what I had to do, but it was a strategy formed where how could we release this from him? And would we be able to get it all out of him and tucked away into a safe place? So, and this is something that has been tried before, and you know, many have uh, were not successful at it. So I um, I don't toot my own horn. There's I don't think there's anything to toot. Uh, but it, the safest thing was, and the only thing to do, um, he's behind bars, and I'm out, and how can I relieve this? How can you bring somebody to... Uh, help you let it go and as much as we could get out of him and talk it away it's still there it, it may not be in him and you know the devil is known for trickery so you know did it is he fully recovered is he you know, um, the same person that first called me, no, he isn't. He isn't. And I saw the resistance, uh, you know, towards towards the middle there, in dealing with uh, Ronnie, there was uh, a resistance because I knew we were winning. We were gaining, gaining the upper hand. And... Mm-hmm he he would lash out and scream and rant and rave and the calls would go on all day and uh, to the point where, uh, you know, I went back at him. You know, I verbally went back at him and, you know, just, ang- I mean, out of anger and said, I did not put the gun in your hand and it doesn't take a big person to do what you have done and, you know, I, and I shouldn't have, um, because the devil finds your weakness, and it was pushing certain buttons. But he is not the same person, and I don't know if Ronnie himself likes that, because I think he, I think he gloried in this. Um, I'm Mr. Amityville. Yeah. And I think that, you know, once this the book is shut and the story is done, he he wanted the help so bad that he was going to commit suicide and I have I have Ronnie taped on everything. And when we you know, we, we went down this road together and you tried to save the human, for what's left of them, uh, for whatever redemption you could not ask the public or parole board to forgive, but for God. You know, like, to make peace with yourself, for whoever your God may be.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: You know, there's many names for God. Uh, Whatever your religious path is, you know, to grab onto that and, to just find solace in this and and to let go and to let it go. It was hard not just letting go of the entity, this this tremendous force, this pact that he made with the devil, but the devil had a say. It's like all right, I'll let him go but what do I get?
2: Right. He wants a trade off.
3: Exactly. There is there is always um, a trade-off in anything. You go into the store, you want to buy something, you pick up the the item, you have to have you know the money to do so. So it's it's a barter. And and I felt that there's a, there was a little bit of him that that little bit that sits waiting for this popularity and maybe if he didn't have that he would have been saved long ago
2: well but there's also the the aspect i mean we're looking at it as as readers before we get into the book and we're first opening it up we're thinking you know Ronnie DeFeo convicted Amityville murderer monster right. and and nobody's ever really known him as the person that he is and I don't know if Ronnie's ever known himself as the person that he is because I don't think so he's been Amityville murderer for you know 30 plus years and then before that he was you know the victim of his his father's aggressions and he's never really had an opportunity to find his identity so in a sense just by going through this with you and going into this battle he he almost did commit suicide because now he no longer has the identity that he's had for for almost his entire life
3: exactly my point you know, and, and I'm so glad you got that from the book because that was a, a huge part of it. You know, I, I felt that um, the person sort of died who, who was born mm-hmm. when, he, when these events took place and he was imprisoned. And you need to let go of, you, you need to be human. You are not the house. You are not the state. You are, you are not Long Island Amityville. You know, when people hear that, the first thing they think of is um, the Amityville murders, you know, the, the horror, the Amityville horror, like the, the entities, um, the possession. And he became a movie, you know, right. and I was trying to get the human side. And there was many times he broke down, many times, and didn't realize he was on tape. And we, we had that relationship, and I am very open, tape or no tape. And I, and I got to the core of that little kid that, that was maybe, like, horribly abused, but it still doesn't justify the things that have happened. And his family, everything, it just seems like, you know, if you can pick something out and just say, okay, this family is going to go down and do this, and, and, you know, you're going to make history, you're going to be the, the urban legend of Long Island, and you're going to be this. And he followed such a path. And the more he, these movies came out about him and the more, you know, he heard about the house and the more this, the more that. He became this house.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He became it.
2: His eyes on those windows.
3: Exactly. He became it. And, you know, I myself have never... Uh, stepped foot back near the property or anything. I, I went when when I had to do something, and that was it. Uh, I I don't I don't find any fun uh, adventure or anything. I I just put a distance, uh, a healthy distance, as much as I could between everything, because I was able to trace a lot of my own family alongside of what had happened to Ronnie,
2: and And it's frightening. And that's what I find to be, I mean, maybe it wasn't your intention in writing it, but in in reading the story and coming away from it, that's what I find to be uh, kind of the, the, the crux of the whole book is that it's a parallel between the family that Ronnie grew up in. You know, here we have a traditional, you know, uh, big Italian family, and, and it's what we would think a happy family should have been growing up. And we juxtapose that with your life, which has been anything but unconventional, and your family now, which is, I guess we would say, is unconventional as well. But at the same time, we see the love and the strength in your family, and as is, is, is different as it might be from the DeFeos, in sharp contrast to... The DeFeos, who should have had everything in the world, and instead, you know, fell victim to this dark force.
3: Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at different lifestyles and you look at different cultures, um, I I didn't see anything different uh, about my family uh, as opposed to uh, anyone else's. I mean, they, you know, my my mother was in. Public eye herself, and she did incredible things. Uh, I give a glimpse of it. We were our own circle, and growing up, you sort of think everyone else is like that. Mm-hmm. You know, until you get a little older, and you're like, "Wow, this is um, this is quite a different uh, storyline." But it it certainly shaped us all, and there's a reason for everything. Well, and, and, I, I, and I'm thankful for the knowledge that she gave me, and I respect it, uh, and I, um, I came to a place many years ago of forgiveness, and as jokingly I can be and, and um, flip at the mouth and everything else, um, I have this, uh, this cross that's sometimes very heavy, and, and I, I need to put it down myself. And I, you know, I, I've always loved my mother, as Ronnie has always loved his father. And, you know, there's the difference of knowing when to walk away and take your knowledge with you and your gifts and whatever else you want to call them and pack them up and travel about and use them in the right way. And I had a calling, and um, it was a secretive calling, but it it was a calling and it was much needed and uh, sought after in different circles um, where Ronnie did the opposite. And we didn't want for anything uh, growing up. You know, it, Ronnie was uh, a spoiled child. You know, and I often, you know, said to him, why didn't you just leave? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the deeds were done. Uh, you, you couldn't bring them back. Why didn't you leave?
2: I mean he yeah, he had the means he he was socking away money
3: uh, I, a lot of money you know a lot and especially you know you go back into those times into the seventies you know forty forty grand here eighty grand here that's that's a lot of mm-hmm. money, and you could have started a new life somewhere else, no one could have found you and, and I
2: mean on top of that he's a young man in his early twenties who you know, at that time kids didn't stay around living in their parents' house and mooching off them as much as they do now. I mean, he should have been looking to get out on his own, aside from just all the abuse that he was suffering. I mean, it's almost like he was being held prisoner there.
3: Well, he was. He was. And but it was by
2: Ronnie C, by Big Ronnie or by something darker?
3: I think it was a little bit both. Mm-hmm. I think I think he wanted his father's love so much and approval that he kept searching for it. And even if it meant ripping that heart out with him, uh, of that that brother, he it was like something they did together. It's like throwing a ball with your dad. You know, you had that that bond, and he still didn't love you after that. Even after you did the darkest deed ever together, and that's where you know you're forming. I mean, his dad. You know, not to be disrespectful of the man's murder, helped the devil's hand in many ways,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and it wasn't done with Ronnie. You see, Ronnie couldn't go. It wasn't the money. He had the money. had He had everything he needed. He often went off on his own, traveled around, came back. They brought him back. Uh, he came on. He came back on his own. The truth of the matter is, is that the devil wasn't done with him. You see, it wants you to complete your task that it set out for you. He made his bargain long before he met this man that appeared to him in prison. It's just that now you're meeting face to face, and you—he used you up. He—he he, you did everything. He wanted you to do, and now he has no use for you. So Ronnie had to make use for himself. He held on to the entity. He definitely, definitely um, was one of the strongest things that I have ever seen. And he didn't in many ways want it to go because it's what kept him alive
2: Mm -hmm. in the
3: public eye.
2: But not only that, not only just the fame factor, I mean, it it seemed like it was, uh, you know, the the possibility of hopefully one day defeating this kept him going. You know, the, the fact that he felt that he was battling it his whole life and... And still battling his father in addition to that. That seems to be what yeah. kept him going.
3: Absolutely. 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 And he, you know, there's, when it's done with you, and this is one thing that a lot of people don't understand, when it's done with you, it's really over. And you may, you know, your your human clock may be still ticking, but... You you know, when your makers get killed, your parents and siblings and other people, uh, it's over. It's over. And he didn't want it to be over, did not want it to be over. There was a little part of him that hung on to this because then who else is going to approach him with stories, you know, mm-hmm. how many times can this be written and rewritten?
2: And and now that it has been written, and now that y- you get the sense from, from the end of the book that, you know, your battle is not necessarily over, but this portion of it is, and, and hopefully Ronnie's is as well, but I have to ask you, as, as being Ronnie's spiritual advisor and, and really probably the only person that he has left in the world to love, are you afraid for him? Are you afraid for his soul now? Because I've got to think now he's just as weak and vulnerable as he as he was thirty something years ago.
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And would Ronnie, just because I'm his spiritual advisor, ever think twice of turning on me? Without a doubt.
2: I mean, you kind of got to say, look what he was capable of doing to those that that he loved.
3: Exactly, without a doubt. And you have to realize that he thrived on attention. That's all he got. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you go into a cell, and, and you know, the, the prison fit him like a glove. When I, when I spoke to Ronnie, and even when I sat across from him and looked at him, and, you know, you, you get this feeling like it was meant for him. And as sad as it is to say that, it, it's true. It was meant for him. There was no other path it was nothing for him to do it, it was this when he described uh how the prison looked outside like a castle like like really like who cares about that mm-hmm. like did that make you feel good or did you think you were living in a castle you're you're in the max security you know it's um
2: but he's he's the king of his own world.
3: Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, so I know he's still going to have things happen to him. You know, you don't when you go through a form of exorcism, any any kind of exorcism, but especially this this type that has been festering and waiting and, and just growing with intensity, like, like the worst storm ever, just waiting to, you know, wipe you, your house, off the block. You don't come out godly. You come out with residue on you. And it's, you're open. You're open for other things to enter you're absolutely opened the day the book was done something screamed in him that i have never heard before and it must have it sounded like 10 people at once mm. and there was sorrow there was anger it sounded like a like a woman, a kid, uh, him a little bit, and the sobs went on for twenty minutes, and it was a part of him that didn't want that that part that was infested mm-hmm. did not want to let go.
2: Well, we are uh, we're actually out of time here. Uh, we have to. T- Take a break for the news, Jackie and I, I know that you have to run, but hopefully you can come back uh, somewhere down the line and really get into this even more with us. Uh, absolutely. The book is called The Devil I Know, and you have to read it. You have to get inside this story and inside Jackie's life to really understand. And uh, if if you do pick it up, I mean, just beware. Like you're gonna want to make sure that you feel safe and protected when you read this book. I, I there was certain times when I couldn't read it just because of the way the story is. So go to Jackie. I
3: absolutely agree with you.
2: Go to JackieBarrett.com. You can find out more about her, and you can purchase the book as well. It's uh, available everywhere books are sold. Uh, Jackie, again, thank you for joining us, and and hopefully we can talk again real soon. We didn't even share the story about how I broke your iPad. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. People can go on your Facebook page and see the video. Thank you again. Yeah,
3: yeah, true, that. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Have a great night. You
2: too. Bye-bye. That is Jackie Barrett. Again, the book is called The Devil I Know. Definitely pick it up. It is well worth the read. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Welcome
1: to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420.
0: WBSN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Foster.
2: of the program. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. You like how I raised my chair at Moniz so that I could be seen on spooky TV? Yeah. I don't know if I like that because I look extra fat in their shirt, so. Yeah,
0: but if you cut to the other camera, it's not so much. better oh,
2: yeah, 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 that's true. <whop> Boom. There we go. Much better. I don't know. I don't know why I think people want to see me anyway. They just want to. They don't. They just want to see in case, like, anything goes wrong. It's not... It, when everything's working and flowing fine, that's that's boring. They want to see when, like, something goes bad and I start, like, knocking stuff over.
0: You do have a tendency to do that.
2: I have anger issues. But uh, not not tonight, because se- things seem to be going well, which is surprising, considering we were talking with Jackie about the Amityville case. I expected that was going to lead to all kinds of problems.
0: I'm sitting at this laptop. you sure you want to mention stuff like that?
2: No. Well... <laughs> We're talking about a laptop that already has problems, <laughs> a curse that might be on us r- for talking about this stuff, and the fact that you know you you knock stuff over and you knock stuff out just as much as I do. true. We're probably two guys the last two guys they should ever let into a radio station, <laughs> especially with nobody else here to make sure that you know they can help us back if we if we mess up.
0: Yes, we're left unsupervised.
2: Remember Pete Brailey is just a phone call away, so uh. <laughs> We, uh, we had a great discussion with Jackie Barrett, and I'm sorry uh, for those of you listening if, if it seemed like we just jumped right into the middle of the story uh, because we really only had a brief amount of time with Jackie, and hopefully we can get her to come back on and, and share more of the story. But pick up the book, The Devil I Know, and it's, in, it's a paperback book. It's only going to cost you a few bucks, and it's definitely worth the read, and it's available as an e-book as well. But that's, that's the way to do it, I mean, to, to really hear the story from Jackie's side. Then you can kind of come back and and listen to that discussion and listen to her first discussion with us, which I think the FCC has finally released it. It's yeah. funny because today on Facebook I was posting about it, and even Jackie was referencing the FCC fines <laughs> when, she, when she was but commenting was, on the post. But it was it was a
0: great show though.
2: Oh, it was no, it's it, and it's what it's what I like about this show when it gets going, and you know we start we, we stop worrying about that stuff because we transcend the fact that we're sitting here in a broadcast radio station. I mean, it becomes more about the conversation, and that's what we're trying to do here. And if sometimes we slip up and we forget that we're actually broadcasting on the air, well, then that hopefully shows the listener that it's genuine, what we're talking about here. You know, it's not a prefabricated production in any means, because (laughs) if it was, things would go a lot smoother most of the time. (laughs) So uh, last night we had our Supernatural Siege at Fort Tabor event. And whenever we do a Legend Trips event, there's always some degree of controlled chaos to it. Uh, That's kind of the fun in it for a lot of people. Uh, Naturally, we have a structure to what we're doing, and we have structure to the investigations. And uh, Last night, we did get a a little bit off track with some of the things. But we were really, really nervous going into last night because there were so many new elements that were being introduced. First of all, it's a new location that we had never investigated before. Uh, It was... uh, a mostly outside investigation exposed to the elements. And, of course, we have, for the first time ever, 22-degree weather coming on October 12th. Thankfully, you know, by the water it was a little bit warmer, but all of a sudden we have record colds happening on the night of the event. And I know when I walked out of my day job Friday, it was raining, and that (laughs) had me super concerned. But uh, we pulled it off, and, and the main thing is we didn't lose anybody. I mean, everybody made it back, which is probably priority number one. And uh, everybody had a great time, it seems. So what was the most uh, – what, what, what had you the most concerned going into the event, Monies? What what were you most uh, most worried about?
0: Other than uh, what I remember of the place back when I used to go hang in like 25 years ago. And that was – there was a lot of riffraff that would be hanging out mm-hmm. in there and – the the hazards of the place that were around it now back when i used to go in it it was part of an old national guard base so there was you know cyclone fences and razor wire and old deuce and a halfs and trash all over a the deuce place. and a
2: half i can only imagine what that looks like uh, if you find a regular a deuce, really that's big, bad enough
0: really big trucks yep,
2: okay i was thinking more of the other kind but uh I mean, as as the people that put together these events, I mean, our concern is always about the safety of the guests, making sure that they have a good time. Uh, but also in the back of our mind, we we like we always say, we can't guarantee that you're going to have a ghost, but we can't guarantee that you're going to have a good time. That's what we feel our job is. But in the back of your mind, you're also concerned about the activity level. Yep. And you're saying, gee, I really hope that things go on. Now, at our Dead of Summer event at Lizzie Borden's, the Lizzie Borden House kind of let us down a little bit. Things weren't as active as it's been in the past. People still had some cool experiences and got some cool evidence, but it wasn't like you know, yeah, a neon sign for the paranormal like it normally is there.
0: Uh, yeah, but you also got to remember these aren't like trained animals; they don't perform on right. command. And,
2: but also, we're also not bringing in uh, trained investigators all the time either. We're bringing in a lot of people that it's their first time. But you do also hope that something happens. It's like, please just let something happen so that not only uh, can people walk out of there and saying that they had an experience so that we know where to go with the investigation because we're going into this cold. Uh, especially at Fort Tabor where we had never investigated before. We're going into this with you know, what are the stories that we want to track down. We didn't have a narrative to what the haunting could be there. We just had some examples of evidence that people had captured and, and some experiences that they'd had, but we really didn't have An overarching storyline to what could be going on there we almost got a little bit of that last night but i have to say we had some pretty profound experiences happening there Uh, i had one of the most profound things that's ever happened to me happen and uh, so because you know it was my personal thing and because it's our radio show (laughs) we're going to share it with you tonight (laughs) Uh, but because you know i had access from the investigators that were with us to get the evidence from what happened but later on down the line as people are sharing things with us we'll be able to put all that together and share it with you on future editions of the show but for right now you know this is the one kind of little bit of uh evidence that we'll talk about tonight and i knew when we went into this that i wanted to to go into battery millican for some reason just the whole concept of that uh drew me in what i wasn't thinking about of course was that there would be like 15, 20 minutes at a time where I would be down there by myself in the dark. And <laughs> for the first two groups, I had left my cell phone back in the military museum. So I didn't even have my phone to let me know what time it is or to be able to contact anybody if something happened. And I started seeing shadowy figures uh, off uh, off to the side that I couldn't explain away when I got closer and looked around. So I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm not thinking paranormal. I'm thinking I'm going to get jumped down here uh, because I'm carrying you know lots of equipment with me and stuff. As it turns out, the, the docents, they were telling me that there actually are a lot of deer that run around there, which surprised me because I wouldn't have thought there'd be deer down at the southern tip of the south end there in New Bedford, but apparently there's a lot of deer on the property. So uh, we saw plenty of rabbits, that's for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know I know, you were wishing you could have been doing target practice there. but A <laughs> wild uh, creature with fangs and... So right, right from the beginning of the night, I mean, we could just tell the vibe from all the people that were there. This was going to be a cool night, and we had our lectures, we had dinner, we took care of all that stuff, all, all the stuff. And you can kind of see the anticipation in people's faces as we get closer to the investigation. So then we break off into our groups. Now, when we were down at Milliken with the first group, we had a strange moment where we heard a short, high-pitched female scream. And nobody could account for where it came from. And ironically, at the same time, in Fort Tabor, during that same hour investigation, they experienced the same thing. So I'm waiting to see, because you know a lot of people were investigating, they were tagging with the time when they recorded a, a certain incident. I'm waiting to see if they're able to correlate that. Because for those unfamiliar with the property, there's no way anybody screamed in one location that we would have heard it in both the fort and and in Millican. No way.
0: Yeah, no way in it
2: I was yelling to people that were walking up the path kind of to hurry up because we only had a limited amount of time because of the walk, and they couldn't even hear me yelling at them to hurry up. So there's no way that any kind of scream could have been heard from both places. Uh, also, when we were in Millican, we heard some strange rumblings, and, and Dave Francis said that he posted them online and he tagged me on them. So we'll check those out uh, during the course of the discussion. I'll try to load those up onto the computer here, but... I do have to share the the profound experience that happened with me and with the group that I was in. It was the second group to come through. We were in a certain room in Milliken that earlier in the, in the evening, uh, Paula Markowitz, who has abilities, uh, she was in there, and she saw a young man ducked in the corner covering over his head. And she had kind of engaged him in conversation, but she couldn't really get that much out of him. So we went into this room to try to see if we could back up what she was saying with some of our meters and devices. And everybody just felt weird in this uh, section. And, and one of the investigators that was with us in this section at that time, uh, Cindy, she's actually joining us on the line. So let's bring her up. Hi, Cindy. How are you? Hello? that I not I didn't turn up the phone thing. Hi, Cindy, are you there? I am here. I, I was having way too good of a time with the technology. I had to mess something up. <laughs> so uh, you were, um, actually, it sounds like, uh, do you have the, the computer volume up in the background?
4: Actually, Frank has it on in the background. Oh. I will ask you to turn that
2: off. Please turn down your radio. Thank you. You like how I stopped and waited from yeah. the. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> You were with us uh, yourself and your husband Frank. We were we were in that room in Milliken, and I know Christie was with us. And you know, I'm not going to give away last names because people didn't sign up for that part of it. Uh, we didn't say that we'd broadcast their names. So we had we had a few people in there with us, and we were in this room. And just describe for people what you were feeling when we were in that in that portion of the of the Milliken. There was a
4: definite heaviness in the room, and it, it was just over on the right side um, of the room. It just seemed to be getting colder and colder. And at one point, we had actually put up the laser grid. And we were concentrating on the laser grid. And it it just seemed as though there was uh, a presence in the room, a real heaviness. Um, We were seeing shadows. And, of course, this was really my first investigation, really getting into the Mm nitty-gritty. So a lot of times I thought, you know, maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me. But, really, there were things that were going on there that I was feeling that just could not explain. And I believe there was maybe four or five of us uh, in that one area that, just experienced some really weird occurrences that we just we couldn't explain
2: well I mean I don't think that I have any kind of abilities or sensitivities but I could feel walking into that area like uh, it just felt there was like a a tension a tingle almost like a draining of um, of my energy and we had so many things that were happening little lights that were appearing Uh, you know frank saw that face that appeared in a in a window in an open uh, spot that was probably seven and a half feet high
4: yes and in fact i i i know frank was snapping pictures at one point and when i was looking at the pictures today um i'll probably i'll send this to you or whoever wants a copy of it but Really, it just looks like there's a face in that area, but it was impossible for someone to really be standing there because where that window area was, it was high up on the wall, and it just doesn't seem possible that somebody could be standing there. But in this picture, there's just kind of a an outline of a face, and it just... Wow. It seemed very strange to me, but there's maybe an explanation. Maybe somebody's standing behind there on boxes or, or something, but it's just really weird.
2: Well, how I, I mean, I don't know. We, we had pretty quick access to that room and, and we didn't see any sign of that. And, you know, really nob- it, nobody in there admitted as much.
4: Well, I know going through the recording today, Uh, We were actually listening to the different conversations that were going on, Mm -hmm. and I know Frank had snapped the picture, um, and then we were talking about, uh, or he had mentioned that something had moved in that upper left window, and you had said, well, there's a window here and there's a window over there. And then you started talking about how it just couldn't be someone standing behind there because the window's too high Mm -hmm. from the ground. Um, And it just, I mean, just the time frame of these pictures seems to match up with around that time frame.
2: Well, and we saw, like, strange little lights that were popping up. We saw, uh, we didn't see any really outright disruptions in the laser grid, but we could kind of see shadows forming on the wall uh, behind it, almost uh, unaffected by it.
4: Right, and, and I think, too, that one uh, spray painting that was on the wall um, just seemed very strange. Um,
2: it, it looked almost like a, a like somebody had spray painted the image of a demon, right? And in the clip we'll play, you'll actually hear one of the investigators reference it and saying, you know, is that a demon on the wall? Um, I mean, uh, let, let's kind of get into what was happening. Uh, when, when we recorded this sound, we're we're standing there and we could feel this this cold spot developing. Everybody was starting to feel it, and it happened on multiple occasions. Uh, now, to those who have never been in Milliken, which should be all of you because you shouldn't be going in there without permission. <laughs> I hope you know. I hope you haven't been in there, but uh, you know, in reality, I'm sure some people have. You'll understand that the the length of that it, it's quite long, and the open ends actually. Come in. I mean, if you can picture it, it's in the shape of an H. Okay, there's two long entranceways with ent- entry points on either side, and then a long hallway in the middle in which there's many rooms that shoot off. And there are some spots that there's openness uh, from one room to another, but there's not a lot of way for air to get in, for wind to get in uh, from the sides, which actually worked out great because it was about 15 degrees warmer inside the middle of it than it was in the rest of the area. So we were actually able to warm up while we were in there. But in this middle section where we were, we could feel a breeze happening on multiple occasions. And I have no idea, no explanation as to why a breeze could be happening. I could understand if cold air was coming down from the top or if cold air was coming in from the side. We're standing facing a brick wall and we're getting a breeze directly in our faces. Which I just I couldn't figure out. And and that happened to you multiple times, right, Cindy, where you felt that that wind? Yes. And we're standing there experiencing this and I'm feeling this cold spot and naturally my ML meter is on the other side of the room, <laughs> so I can't verify that the temperature is changing. So I asked Frank if he could kind of put his hand in front of me uh to see if he felt it as well and he did. But at the same time, you guys were running uh you guys were running your your uh digital recorder. And we came up with something very profound on audio that it just won't do justice to the way that it sounded when it happened. And uh, I don't know. Should we play the sound first, any do you think? Or do you think we should explain to people what it was that we experienced?
4: I think we should go ahead and play the sound first.
2: Okay. Let's do that. This is, uh, this is from the Milliken Battery of Fort Tabor last night during our Legend Trips event. I don't know if you're touching my hand or if that's just because I, I feel cold over here all of a sudden. Alright. Kind of right in kind front of right here. It's edited by the way. <laughs> oh f! <laughs> holy f! <laughs> 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 what the hell happened? What happened? Was that you? No! no. Well, right. it happened in here, but we don't know where it was. It sounded like it was coming from here. up top. What the
1: f? <laughs> <laughs> you okay?
4: Why? Oh my God! It
3: smells
4: so bad right here, guys. that, a demon over there? A demon? Oh, what the f- just happened?
2: What happened? And we have to thank Mike Markowitz for editing that for us, <laughs> because the original could not be played. Uh, I'm going to run that one more time, and, and you want to listen uh, right at the beginning there when you when you hear me asking uh, Frank to verify the cold spot. I don't know if you're touching my hand or if that's just because I feel cold over here all of a sudden. now you can hear that that crash, but let me tell you it it doesn't do it justice as to what we heard in, in the room
0: now nothing was moved, nothing in the place to make that noise
2: nothing there was nothing that we saw on the ground nothing ad- there's there's wooden beams going across the ceiling uh, in there, and there's about a foot and a half of space between the concrete of the, the top of of the battery and then this wooden shelf i'm I'm assuming that they probably stored something up there uh and that there might have been more wood in the building at one time where they would have had shelves and and maybe that's where they just stuck something up top uh or maybe they just had like an access area you, you know what i mean like maybe they just had a wooden ceiling between that and the concrete ceiling to hold in heat or anything like that but uh uh, Cindy, I know you said you'd seen some dust when that noise happened.
4: Yes. Um, as soon as I, I heard it, I had literally turned to my side and had flashed the flashlight over there, and I saw you move to the side and kind of jump back, and I shot my flashlight up to the ceiling because that's where the noise was coming from, and it literally sounded like uh almost like a bowling ball, just bouncing off the ceiling. Um, And it was as though dust was flying down on us. It was just the weirdest experience.
2: I mean, Um, I literally thought the roof was caving in on me.
4: Yes, and like Tim said, the audio does not do it justice. It just was the loudest sound
2: and it, it's just unexplainable. And, and what was so strange about it is you could kind of tell from everybody's reaction, like, we all kind of thought the same thing, you know, at first when we heard it. Because, like, I kind of did, like, a duck and cover move, and, and Frank kind of did one next to me. and But then we were all immediately listening because we wanted to see if the sound continued. Because if we had heard it, and it was like a boom, boom, boom right over our head, and then a few feet away, a boom, 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 you know, I would have thought there's a bat in there, there's a bird in there, there's some kind of animal, even though... Whatever it would have been wouldn't have had the force to make the sound that it did. At least then we would have some sort of a plausible explanation for it. But it just happened so quick and right in that one spot that there was was no way that anything that was up there could have gotten away. And if something had fallen, if a chunk of concrete had fallen down and landed on that wooden ceiling, we would have been able to find it. But there was nothing up there that we could see that would have fallen to make that noise. And it was directly over my head. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know where, uh, what else to say about that, but I can say that we kept going back in there and trying to make it happen again, and even though we kept having strange experiences in there, there was nothing else like that noise. Now, uh, I mean, Cindy, aside from that, I mean, what else uh, did you find to be some of the more intriguing parts of, uh, of the investigation last night? Um, and
4: honestly, I think Milligan was, oh, Milligan, I'm sorry, was top-notch. I just, that was intense. Um, Even being in the museum, just the experience of walking through there was incredible. It was, there was good feelings, but it just seemed as though, like, that back corner, everybody seemed to be drawn to that back corner. Mm -hmm. Um, And in listening to some of the recordings, that we have, there was a time that me and another investigator were standing next to a display uh, case and she was talking about um, some weird feelings that she was feeling and she had asked me to stand in the same spot that she was and I had done that to see if maybe I could experience what she had experienced and as I was listening back to the recorder today. The conversation, in between a conversation that I was speaking and she had spoke, there was a name Jean that came through. Hmm. And this is something I, I'm going to have to have you listen or, or Mike or someone else um, just to tell me if I'm not hearing things. <laughs> because it just there was nobody else but me and this other investigator there in that one particular area.
2: Well, definitely. So, uh, yeah, definitely get it to us. And, and uh, we'll see if Mike can, Mike's pretty good at enhancing them too. And we'll, we'll see if we can uh, get it here on the show. Cause sometimes, you know, you catch stuff that doesn't really translate well to radio, but um, on the podcast end of it, I mean, they sound great. <laughs> so. Right.
4: And I know over at, the uh, the fort. They had uh, some experiences over there. Um, and it, it just it was a great investigation.
2: Well, well I, I thank was, you for joining us on it.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: And now we're going to do it all again next week.
4: Absolutely.
2: We're going to be at the Fearing Tavern and a few other buildings from the Wareham Historical Society next Saturday for Haunted History Night 2012. And I know that I don't have to worry about the ceiling falling in on me in any of those places. <laughs> All right. Well, we will talk to you next Saturday.
4: Great. Sounds great. Thanks have so great much. You too. Bye bye.
2: Bye bye. And uh, hopefully now I, I see that, uh, that Dave's in the in the chat room, and I'm trying to find the the audio that he's talking about. But maybe if he's feeling up to it, he can give us a call, and uh, we can talk about the other sound that we heard when we were in there, because uh, I, I know that he said that he'd. Uh, been able to upload it but I couldn't find it anywhere. So Dave, feel free to call in. But uh yeah, we will be at the Fearing Tavern this Saturday night for our next Legend Trips event. Uh we've um, not even recovered from last night, but uh <laughs> we'll start planning You're for not Saturday. The only one. And uh it's gonna be it's gonna be a great night because it's the the locations there are so awesome. You get to investigate a tavern from sixteen ninety. I mean when can you ever get that opportunity otherwise and uh, we're gonna have uh, you know our usual formula of dinner, and we're gonna have some presentations for you. We're also gonna have a live taping of thirty odd minutes, so uh, you wanna you wanna make sure that uh, you can be a part of thirty odd minutes that way. And uh, I know that uh, Matt, you get to be part of thirty odd minutes every week, but for the for the audience for the for the attendees, it's it's a pretty cool thing.
0: Oh, we're happy to do it, and you know, we're actually looking forward to doing it. It's going to be a fun event,
2: and. When we get back into this, uh, you know, now that we have a a basis from last year's Haunted History Night, we kind of know where we're going with it. Because originally we'd only investigated the Fearing Tavern. We hadn't been in those other buildings. And uh, it turned out that they were pretty active. nobody had.
0: Yes, it turned out to be pretty active where I was at, uh, the little uh, one-room schoolhouse. And uh, it also acted as a uh, a mailroom or a post office of sorts and we had stuff going on in there all night so uh, i'm looking forward to getting back in there again
2: and uh when i go back there i'm a little bit worried about that incident that happened to me last time where my friend from lizzie's decided to talk to me over the spirit box so who knows what we're going to do for uh for some experiments that night now i know that jeff had tried the red experiment last night and he said that if it didn't work out well that we can't speak of it so We'll wait for his lead on that and see what he got. But I've heard some results that said interesting, but not not quite what they were hoping for.
0: Hey, it's worth a shot. You don't know until you try.
2: Right, absolutely. And experimentation is, is the best part of it. Now, Dave, Dave's saying that he sent me the link to that sound on Facebook, but I don't have it. So uh, it, it didn't go through, and I don't see it. So maybe if he uh, wants to um, resend it, we can try and see if we can play it before the end of the show. But I'll give everybody kind of an idea of what it was that happened in that part of the investigation. We were, we were in the uh, – we were in Millican in kind of the same area, and we heard what sounded like the rumble of, a, of an engine, like a truck driving by. But, again, where we are, you know, you're not going to hear that. And just to give people an idea of the way that things were going in there – We could hear everybody else that was in the battery while we were in that little area. We could hear everybody else's conversations. But when we tried to talk to them, you know, to tell them to shut up and quiet down, they couldn't hear us. And at one point, Dave actually screamed uh, at the top of his lungs for the people to be quiet. And Will, one of the other uh, investigation uh, one of the other investigators that was there with us, he, one of the other attendees, he was just a few rooms down, and he didn't hear Dave scream. So there was, it was almost like, and then we need to get a structural engineer in there to try to figure out exactly what happened and, and how the sound <laughs> bounces off there or something because there's there's no plausible explanation otherwise.
0: Well, there's a slight plausible explanation, but if you're saying it's right next door, no. you're You're dealing with tons and tons of concrete, tons and tons right. of earth, and you got... Uh, they they designed the rooms in a particular shape to deaden sound because remember you're dealing with like very very large guns going yeah, off and above you. you want to dead- not
2: have to deal with that constant sound. You need to have yeah. some shelter from it to protect yourself. But uh, I mean, still though, like I, I know a little yeah, bit about geometry and physics, and I'm looking at the angles and I can't figure out what would cause. I understand if the guns are mounted up up top. And you want to have some shielding for the sound inside, but that shouldn't mean that it should eliminate the possibility to hear from one end of the other of a hallway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you're in a straight shot, yeah, you should be able to hear.
2: And there's a photo, and I don't want to jump the gun, no pun intended, and and talk about this photo yet until we hear back from Ron Kolick about it. Because Ron Kolick captured this photo in Milliken, and... It's got myself and, and Rachel Coombs from Bay State Paranormal perplexed. We were talking about this uh, earlier this afternoon. And I'll show you the picture, Monies. I really don't want to put it out there as being paranormal until Ron comes back and says yes or no, whether or not somebody was in this photo. But uh, I'll, I'll show it to you. We'll, we'll try and do it on the air here, and you can kind of... I want to see right. what your reaction is on the air All uh, right. when I show it to you. But uh, right now we have... Uh, these sounds that uh, that Dave gave us here. So let's see if we can play this. This is that that sound of the the motor running that we caught.
4: Was that you? Can you do it
2: again? What the hell was that? That rumble, rumbling.
0: Yeah, it's like yeah. a rumble. Yeah. No, it sounded like like a car driving. Like a motor. I, was, yeah.
4: I kind
2: of felt the vibration. I couldn't then. No. Mm-mm. Now you really can't hear it as well as you, you can feel it kind of in, in that clip.
4: Was
2: well, that you? Can you do it again? The hell was that? That rumble, yeah. rumbling. Yeah. So, can you do it again? The hell was that? If you you kind of hear the that rumble, rumbling. Yeah. And it was much more pronounced. Again, though and Dave's mentioning it here in the chat room, it's it's weird, these sounds, the recordings don't do them justice, and we're using high-end equipment here, we're not walking in there with, you know, we're not trying to record on our cell phone recorders here. Um, I mean, Dave uses a pretty high-quality device, and, and I know, know that Cindy and Frank did as well, I mean, and the fact that these sounds, uh, Moniz, I mean, you understand uh, physics, uh, and physics of sound a little bit more than I do, but
0: That and working in recording uh, studios and industry, yeah.
2: I understand that when you're there and you're in this concrete building, there's going to be some different reverberations for the sounds, but not to the point that they should be so powerful to us there in the moment. And and I know that being in the moment kind of plays into it as well, but um, we've also got a bunch of people who aren't going to be easily jumpy at every little sound. So to hear our reactions to these sounds means that it it was pretty pronounced.
0: Yes, it it was definitely a legitimate sound. Uh, I'm not going to speculate on what the cause was, but the equipment picked it up, and your reactions definitely point that it was uh, loud enough to garner your immediate attention, which meant it had to be close by. Stuff further on in the uh, distance would obviously sound distant and echo.
2: And if it was a car... Going by, I mean, it is, there is... You
0: would have heard them all night. It and wouldn't have just been It wouldn't wanted. have
2: been just the one, and it would have been sustained. It wouldn't have been just that little brief, because it would have had to have gone somewhere. Yeah, Dave's saying that he thought it sounded like a diesel engine idling, and, and that was kind of what it was. And and uh, we'd actually heard it, we'd heard a similar sound, and I had asked uh, Frank, who was with us, if it might have been some sort of imprinted sound of the... Um, weapons delivery system that they would have used because you can still see the rails in Milliken. Some yes. of them have collapsed down, but if that might have been the sound that it would have made and, and he was explaining, no, that it would have been more of a metal-on-metal, metal, you know... Clacking. Clacking and, and squealing to it. So, I don't know. It's just <laughs> just some cool, really cool experiences.
0: The only thing I can think of, because you were close to the waste treatment plant over in that area, mm-hmm. is maybe one of the... The large pumps that pump from one clarifying tank into another may have kicked on for, for underground. Just a
2: few seconds, two yeah, seconds. Uh,
0: yeah, something. You know, some of these. You got to remember, these are huge tanks and stuff like that. And I used to go to that waste treatment facility to pick up samples for analysis, so I'm familiar with the the layout of the place, and I know that they have some large pumps that they use to pump from one uh, tank to another when they first start up yeah you could have uh, some reverberation
2: and would that have gone Would that have ha- i mean you know the size of these tanks and in the yes. process more than i do would it have happened multiple times during the course of the night or would it have not been uncommon for it to happen just once or twice
0: all depends uh, you know it, it has to do with the amount of flow that's going into the place okay. we're in the middle of the night so yeah you during the day if they they go off More often because there's more people up, more people using water, and of course the tanks would have to uh, be activated more. So once in a great while, throughout you know the evening hours, would not be uncommon.
2: Maybe we go down there during the day and we just hang around and you know because there's a nice walking path that goes right by there, and we see if you know we can we can see them go off and see if it's a similar sound. Actually, Cindy had the same idea just now in the chat room. Now, I'm going to show you this photo, and it always works out really well when you're trying to talk about photos on the radio, but I want to show you this, and we'll kind of get your uh, opinion, but if you go to Ron Kolek's Facebook page, you can kind of see. Now, looking at this photo, if you look at it, we're looking down the hallway of Milliken, and I believe this is at the far end of the opposite end of where we entered, and we were getting ready because I took everybody on a walkthrough from one end to the other each time a group came in, and then told them, "Okay, now go off and and do your investigation." I just wanted you to know the layout first. So I think this is when we're getting ready to turn back. Uh, and if you look, you see Rachel, yeah, and you see this, and she looks fine, you know, the, yeah. the, the 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 picture. There's no washout from the flash or anything. And then on the other hand, on the other side, we see this glowing white figure. I
0: would have. Pick that up as being a person standing to the left of the camera and the flash going off and them getting a a whitewash from the flash
2: that's what I would have assumed, but there's no other uh there's no other sign of a whitewash anywhere there's no bleeding of that uh there's no there's no kind of flare on rachel
0: right that's that is
2: creepy and i you know I had suggested that it, in the photo it was my first thought would have it been that it looks
0: like a shoulder, part of a short sleeve shirt type of thing. Uh, I can see what clearly looks like to be a person's arm going down and an elbow and a and, head.
2: And this, and it might be hard to see from your angle, but there seems to be a little fuzzies or facial hair things yeah. coming off there. I thought that that was um, relative to the graffiti on the wall, but Rachel said no. She blew it up, and it's definitely coming from this figure. So when I saw it, and and everybody that wants to see this, if you go to Ron Kolick's Facebook page, let me see if I can tag myself in the photo. And uh, I'll see if I can tag it on my Facebook page. Yep. And then this way here, if you go to my page right now, you'll see the photo pop up. And that way there it will make it easy for you. And anybody that's looking at this later, uh, you can check it out. Let me see if I can tag Spooky South Coast. If you look, you can kind of see this, like, more shots that is wild but uh let's see if i can tag spooky south coast yes i can all right so if you go to the spooky south coast page you'll see it there as well you love when you can do this stuff live right on the air so when you're when you're looking at the picture uh, my immediate thought was that it was me because i was wearing all black and that it was possible that i was being whitewashed from the lens go uh the flash going off and it would have that effect on the black but then again you know so is rachel Yeah. And you don't see any of that on her. Uh, But I thought this was my... Let me just move my microphone here. I thought this was my knit cap right here. Yeah. You know, this was my sweatshirt, and this would have been either the hood from my sweatshirt or I was wearing a backpack. So it could have been the strap from the backpack. And Rachel said the only problem with that is, one, I wasn't there next to her, and two... She insists that she's taller than me. I don't know. We're gonna put that to the back to back test. Taller than you. All right, come on, man. You can't just let me pretend. Whoa, whoa. It's all right, just just let it keep running. Um Yeah, just keep let it go on. It's just it's just the uh window display. Okay. So uh the She said that uh she's taller than me so that I wouldn't have appeared that tall, even in relation to the camera, as you can see, the figures aren't far enough away for there to be a perspective issue when it comes to height. So, again, like I said, it doesn't really help when you're trying to talk about a photo on the radio. So if you go to my Facebook page or the Spooky South Coast Facebook page, you can see it. And um, I'm just going to read some of the chat room here because I know Dave's given it some analysis. Uh, he wrote, if it was if it was a point-and-shoot camera, the flash would have also been on that side of the camera. Uh, right. Yes. But, I mean, uh, I assume with a point-and-shoot, Dave, you're talking about, uh, like, one of those disposables? No, no. Uh because most digital cameras, the the flash is going to be located in the right over the uh, right over the lens. Uh,
0: generally, um, most uh, like sure shots, mm-hmm. you know, those little uh, Sony's and whatever, they're on the left side. Oh, okay. Um, because if you remember, you're looking through the generally the right side with your eye. So they they are.
2: I don't know. I mean. I just would think that if it's something like that, there'd be another the disposables.
0: Ones it. are definitely on the left, though.
2: But there would be another indication somewhere in the photo of that being the case. It wouldn't be isolated, I don't think, just to the outline of that one figure.
0: Yeah, that's that. Uh, I'm interested in that one.
2: I mean, wouldn't there have been if it was that? Wouldn't there have been like some now, bleeding Kolek through? took that picture. Yeah, Ron, well, Ron posted it, so it was probably either him or Ann that took it. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Ron that took it.
0: Well, they weren't using disposable cameras. I mean, no, you know no, that.
2: Ron wouldn't do that. He's uh, he's got some some pretty fancy equipment. <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> and what's funny is he put it up there and didn't point it out as being paranormal, which is what makes me think that it's you know he probably knows the explanation, but we're just waiting to hear back from him. Uh, because as far as I know, and I'll just scroll down the comment section here, I'll see if he's chimed in a little bit. There was a one little joke at the beginning about it, but yeah, nope. There, uh, there doesn't seem to be. Oh, yeah. we we do have some updated conversation here on it, so. But I'll uh, I'll read that a little bit later on. So there you have it. I mean, that's our brief little discussion of what happened last night: at supernatural siege, and Floyd. Well, Dabour. to you. Right, exactly. And that's that's just it. I mean, I can only report to you what I already know, and that's because everything else hasn't rolled into us yet. And uh, it usually takes a, a few days for us to start getting some of the evidence back. And I'm amazed at the, I don't want to say the newbies, but we'll say the first-timers, the people who haven't done this before. Uh, I'm amazed that when we're doing this, You would think, like, okay, they're going to catch a picture of an orb and be like, look, I got an orb, I have a ghost. You know, you would start to think that they'd be willing to jump on the paranormal train a little too soon. But uh, I love the fact that whatever the the vibe is from the experienced investigators, the newcomers catch on to it right away. (laughs) And you see them throwing out things, like, immediately, like, oh, yeah, well, look, I you know, I have some orbs in this picture, but I just leaned against the wall, so that's probably dust. Or, you know, they take a picture and something's glowing in the photo and they're like, well, wait a minute, let's see what might be reflecting the flash off there. And it's like people who are like, I don't know about this, I've never done this before, I just, I'm interested in it and I want to learn, are becoming a seasoned investigator almost by the end of the night. It's uh, it's it's just, to me, that's that's the fun part of it, to watch people go through these experiences. If something happens to me at the same time, that's just gravy.
0: I had fun in my little hole in the wall that I was put in,
2: you were in the Walcott battery,
0: yeah, and uh interesting little uh, little facility i I probably had the smallest spot in the whole thing, but i I had activity and stuff going on all night. I mean hearing audible voices, footsteps, every group that came in pretty much just chased these footsteps going up and down the hallways inside the battery. We got a number of uh, EVPs. I had one EVP calling me a particular word we can't use on the air. Uh, called you an a-hole. Yeah, basically.
2: But didn't censor it.
0: No, no. and that there, w- there were a lot of people getting EVPs in there all night. And, but the footsteps were the thing that was really wild. We were standing at w- – each group would come in. We'd stand and we'd start talking. And then I'd have them stop and listen. And all of a sudden, you hear the footsteps going down the hallway – people start chasing them
2: and there's two batteries that we didn't even investigate during the course of the night because they're still in the process of cleaning them all yeah. out in uh and opening them up a little bit more so i don't know i mean just the the amount of activity that was happening for this event i can't wait to get back there i can't wait to bring people back there and now uh, we uh, we know that the fort was very very happy with the way that everything went and uh, i know like i Kind of alluded to earlier, there was a little bit of a confusion issue uh, with moving some of the groups around. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll alleviate that in the future. But uh, the fort is very happy with what went on, and they want us to come back and do another one. So, in the warmer weather, we'll definitely plan one, and uh, we'll make sure that we do it on a on a Saturday this time, so that people can get down there. Because I think a lot of people were worried about that Boston traffic. You know, you you know what that I like. had to deal had with the there. So uh, we will. Um, we will, t- we will definitely uh, return to Fort Tabor, that's for sure. Uh, and in the meantime, if you've never been down there, I highly recommend that you just go visit and uh, take a tour of the military museum. It is free admission, but they appreciate any donations that you want to make. Throw a couple dollars in there. Help them out. And uh, one of the coolest parts of the night was when uh, we went back for the break and Jeff pulled out a brick from Fort Tabor. Well, from Fort Rodman. Yeah. And... He said that the fort had graciously allowed us to auction that off as a fundraiser. Cool. And we started the price at, what, $5, I think it was. And we got it up to about $25. And then all of a sudden, our good friend Christy, who's been on most of these legend trips with us, she raised her hand and blew everybody away, and she bid $40. Oh. So she got the brick, and uh, she got a letter of authenticity from the fort and everything. So, you know, it's a cool, cool little piece of history. And it's something that not everybody has a chance because they don't even let people in the fort. You know, this is one of the few times anybody can ever get in there. So she has a cool little piece of history. I almost took a rock from inside Milliken to bring home to my son because he collects rocks from cool places. Yep. And uh, that was when the roof almost caved in on me. (laughs) sound happened. And I asked, I pulled the group that was there at the time if I should take it with me or if I should leave it. And a few brave souls were saying... Take it with you. Ron Kolick was advocating me taking it with me. But uh, uh, in the end, we decided to leave it there. So probably better off. Because otherwise, I might have ended up looking like that guy.
0: That is a creepy photo.
2: We got to figure it out. So uh, again, if you want to join us for a Legend Trips event, you don't have to wait that long because the next one is Saturday night. This coming Saturday. uh, We are trying to work out things so that Spooky South Coast can air on Uh, We'll call it a tape delay next Saturday night. So uh, if we can't work that out, we hope to at least have a tape podcast for release next week. But uh, next Saturday night, we will be in the Fearing Tavern and those other buildings for our Legend Trips event, Haunted History Night 2012. Tickets are still available. There's a few left. $99. It includes dinner. It includes lectures, a live taping of 30-odd minutes, and hours of guided investigation throughout these four historic buildings. Down there in that little corner of Wareham, and we've recently started, you know, pointing out to people the amount of money that we've raised for the historic locations that we hold these events in.
0: Well, look what we did last night. We mm-hmm. paid for the heat for the entire winter for for the museum at Fort Tabor with that one event.
2: Right. So now they can keep that museum open all winter long. And they can have it be accessible to people that don't have to worry about paying the the heating bill for it because we took care of them for it. Is we and I say we, but when I say we, I don't mean Legend Trips. I mean the, the attendees who came to that event. We as the paranormal community here took care of that and and kept the heat on at the military museum all winter long. So you know, give yourselves a pat on the back if you came and <clears throat> excuse me if you took part. And we've raised now over six thousand dollars for these various locations since we started doing Legend Trips only about a year ago so
0: that's very admirable
2: and and we have plans of increasing that number uh exponentially in the next couple of years we're going to start trying to uh, incorporate more of little ways for people to make donations if they can't make it out to a legend trips event Uh, and if they want to at least just give something to keeping the location going every five dollars helps every ten dollars every dollar helps to helping maintain these locations so we're going to do all that we can to keep it going and uh, we're also going to keep having cool events in places. So if you want to get on board for Haunted History Night for a $99 ticket, just go to legendtrips.com or go to spookysouthcoast.com and click on the Legend Trip slide or the Haunted History Night slide when it rolls through on the slideshow there. And we still do have the great room deals available as well at the Hampton Inn. Uh, you can get a room for $79 plus tax right here in Fairhaven if you're coming from this end of the, the world and driving to Wareham. You can't beat that deal, and and these people yeah. at the Hampton Inn have just been phenomenal, in uh, not only helping us keep things going, but working now with Fort Tabor, and uh, working with some of the other cool spots in the area, uh, to help out with getting people to and from the to and from the hotel, and and uh, they were willing to keep booking people after the event at that special rate too, if they wanted to just crash there and not drive home, and uh, so you can get a room there for this Saturday night, and uh, also the Days Inn of Middleborough if you're coming from the north. Uh, They also have a special room rate of $70 for the night. And plus, we still have spots available for our spirit medium readings with Tiffany Rice and Stephanie Burke. So if you want to book a reading while you're at the event, even if you've already purchased your ticket, you can go back to the event page and purchase your reading. We only have room for six readings per psychic medium, uh, per spirit medium for the event. So uh, book them fast because they will fill up. All of that information is up on legendtrips.com if you want to take part of it i highly recommend it because even at the very least at the end of the night if you didn't have a paranormal experience you know you had an awesome night in a historical spot that not a lot of people have a chance to get into and you can go home feeling uh, pretty good about yourself knowing that you helped keep that uh, that place alive you helped keep that place going not only for ghost hunters to experience but also for kids to come and go on field trips, for people to come and enjoy, for tourists coming out of town to come and experience for themselves. So it really is a phenomenal thing. So that does it for this week's show. Again, we'll be back next Saturday night. Uh, well, maybe not next Saturday night, but we may be back in tape delay form. We have to find out if we can make that happen. Uh, but if not, you know, we'll talk to you two weeks from now. When we start getting a little bit closer to Halloween with our annual Bridgewater Triangle episode, that's coming up in two weeks. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss any of that in the coming weeks. And if you want to take part in that investigation, email us, Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com, because we still have some room for you to get on board and be one of the teams that are out there that night. So uh, definitely do that in the near future so we can start making plans. We're going to leave Chris in charge of all that because okay. <laughs> we're going to be all over the place coming up. Uh, so that does it for this week's show. Until we talk to you next, hopefully next Saturday night, uh, from Matt Moniz, from Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, we're going to want you all to stay spooktacular.